Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, today we're so happy to have in our studio today Mr. Chester Elton, who is the co-author of The Best Team Wins and also one of the founders, if I have this correct, of The Cultural Works. Chester, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you interrupting your very busy schedule. I'm really looking forward to talking about your great book, The Best Team Wins, because I think teamwork and collaboration is something that uh, we could use very well here in, in the world. But before we jump into The Best Team Wins, could you share with our audience the highlights of your education, career, and experience? Sure. I, uh, I went to Brigham Young University in communication, got my bachelor's there. And then I like to say I entered the world and learned as much as I could from hard knocks. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I, I think of my career as really starting when I was working my way through college. I, at Durrell, I actually sold Bibles door to door for three summers to wow. pay for my university education. And uh, it was an incredible experience. You know, you'd knock on doors and you just didn't know who was coming to the door. Right. And you didn't know if it was a good day for them or a bad day or, or what. And um, that was a great education for me. Um, after um, my first year in university and selling uh, books for three years, I actually took two years out and was a missionary for my church in southern Italy. I don't know if you have friends that are Mormon, but I'm a... I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you might know a little bit about the two years of... Uh, of service. And I got called to serve in southern Italy, Durrell. And when you open your letter and it says you're going to spend two years of your life in southern Italy, that's when you know Jesus loves you. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I learned how to speak uh, fluent Italian and, and just love the Italian language and culture. After university, I went and worked uh, in broadcasting. I was with Blair Television for several years. We sold TV time in spot areas. I worked as a local and national sales manager up in Hartford. And then I, 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 I sold uh, recognition programs for a wonderful company out of uh, Utah for 19 years. You know, helping companies recognize employees for years of service or sales or their contributions. And then after being there for 19 years, Adrian and I uh, broke off and we uh, founded the Culture Works, our training company. And our mission is to make a difference to create great places to work where people are excited to come to work, where they believe what they do matters, they make a difference, and when they make a difference, somebody notices it and celebrates it for them. Uh, on top of all that, I'm a happy uh, and father of four exceptional children, and my wife Heidi and I will celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary this month. Congratulations. Thanks. I hope that wasn't too much. <laughs> no, no, that's absolutely Perfect, and it's good to for our audience to get a feel for you know how you started and how you maneuvered through in, in the short time that we have today. And so let's discuss your company first. The culture works. So you wanted to come together. You and Adrian wanted to come together to create a training program that will allow people to, I guess, perform at their highest expectations. Tell us a little bit about the principles of the culture works. Sure. As I mentioned, we were really driven to, to make a difference and to leave a, a positive difference. I think all of us in our careers have had those moments or, or those jobs where getting out of bed and getting to work was just 
took every ounce of effort you had because it was a toxic environment, you know. And I, I looked at that, and over my career, I, I had that, thankfully, not very often. And I looked at how it eroded not just my work, how it eroded my self-image, how it eroded my relationships at home and with my family. And I thought, you know, that's that's just not right. There shouldn't be anyone that's up and who Red's going to work or Red's going to work in Red. And and so we you know it, it, we started the work is employees, you know, how do you engage people at work? How do you build these great teams? And then how do you really create a culture where people matter, customers matter, and, and you make a difference? We we took a look at all the data we could. Uh, we're a very data driven company, and we developed training around a couple of key areas. One is your intrinsic motivation. We took a lot of data and wrote a book called What Motivates Me. And in that book, we have an online assessment you can take that doesn't just identify who you are or what your strengths are, which I think are very important. It identifies what are you passionate about at work. You know, Darrell, it's, it's the old saying that if you're passionate about your what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, That's right? right. Yes. Um, and I believe that. So those principles uh, became the core of what we wanted to do at Success University, creating great cultures where people feel valued. They're a part of wonderful uh, teams that care about each other and deliver great results. And then the key that we found to all of that is when they did something great, did somebody notice it and celebrate it? You know, that was the kind of the secret sauce. We, we wrote a book called The Carrot Principle, very simple premise. If I do something well, did somebody notice it and say thank you? So with those very uh, basic and core principles, we travel the world and we teach. And we, 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 we uh, Adrian and I are known as the apostles of appreciation. So I always say we, we teach and we preach. <laughs> I love that. I love the that. The power of uh, recognition and the power of culture in people's lives. The apostles of appreciation. Yeah, it's a great title at your high school reunion. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, what is the premise of best team wins? And what are the principles? Yeah, great question. You know, we, we looked at uh, teamwork. Well over 80% of people that go to work work in some kind of a team environment. And we love the early work of uh, Lance Keone, you know, the five dysfunctions of a team and, and so on. And I think those basic principles are still very valued and still apply. What we looked at is over the last really five to seven years in particular, that the workplace has changed dramatically. And along with those core values that were so wonderfully articulated in, in many books that were written, uh, there were five disciplines that, that popped up above and beyond those that, that we found that in high-performance teams needed to be present. And the first one was this idea of understanding generations. You know, never before have we had so many generations in the workplace at the same time that are communicated with and engaged much differently. You know, the old premise was we treat everybody the same, that's fair. The new premise is you've got to know the generational differences to really connect with the people in your team in a meaningful way. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. It, I guess it's taken emotional intelligence to a new level, would you say? No, I agree. But emotional intelligence, I think, is a key to understanding people's intrinsic motivation. And so understanding these different generations is, is understanding the environment by which they were raised. And, and um, But how do you, how do you, 
you know, my daughter's a millennial. She's 21. And, you know, I remember when they were playing softball in middle school, everyone got a trophy, which was <laughs> like, you know, it was like, what do you mean everyone gets a trophy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, there was a cartoon I saw the other day. It was hilarious. It was uh, millennial grandparents, you know, and the, their kid shows up and says, uh, Look at this. I got an existence trophy. <laughs> and the millennial grandparent says, you know, when I was a kid, we actually had to participate to get a pro trophy, you know, not not win necessarily, just participate. Right. right. And, and it is differently. And we, it's different the way we communicate. It's different the way we connect. It's different the way we reward. You know, I, I like you, I have I have four millennial children. And it's very interesting to me that when they play their video games and whatnot, you know, Mario Brothers, for example, you get 300 positive pings per minute playing that game. That's why it's so addictive, right? A lot of and stimulation. Then, yeah, a lot of stimulation. And so we, we, we bring these millennials into the workplace and we say in our very traditional way, I'm glad you're here. You know, here's your job. You're going to work hard. It's called work for a reason. And if you survive for 10 years, I'm going to give you a lapel pin with a little ruby in it to say thank you. <laughs> and they say, wait a minute, I got 300 positive affirmations in the last minute. You know, so understanding those differences and understanding the digital way that you can connect and reward people becomes really critical, I think, in building any cohesive team. What do you think? I agree with you. Um, I was on the phone last night with the He was sharing with me uh, a situation at his work. And, and, and what I found was that he was despondent because management wasn't feeding him with good information about here's what your job is, here's what you need to do, here's the support we're going to provide you, and here's how you could do this better, or this is how you're doing it well. So you're so right that they want that interaction with, with management. They just don't want to be left alone. I, that that loop of continuing to say, here's where we are, here's where we want to go. Uh, what we found in a lot of teams, uh, particularly with the younger members of the team, is to have a mentor, to have someone where they can ask us, right? Someone that's checking in with them regularly. Uh, these are incredibly talented and smart young people that are bringing really great ideas into the workplace. We've got to make sure that we create a safe environment to be able to bring that out and make sure that they feel included. There's no question. So if we could, let's let's review those five disciplines. We've talked about the first one, which was generational. What are the other four? Uh, number two is one of my favorites. It's managed to the one. And, you know, this harkens back. You know, I am a big sports fan. And I remember when the book came out that said The Jordan Rule. Mm. It caused quite a kerfuffle. Right. right? Right. Wait a minute, you're treating Michael Jordan differently than everybody on the team? And I thought to myself, well, of course you are. He's Michael Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not treating him differently, you're an idiot. Right, you know? right. So this, uh, we've got to, again, get over this idea that everybody has the same rules and it's fair. Uh, this idea of managing to the one becomes really important when you look at the makeup of a lot of organizations. You've now got gig employees. They'll come in for a very short period of time, and that's, that's the gig, right? Right. You've got remote employees. You've got volunteers. You've got um, 
and people that work for you where they are the secondary income or the primary income. These are all variables that you need to take into account in, in managing those people. You know, this book was based on 850,000 engagement surveys that we looked at, mm. plus an additional 50,000 uh, motivational assessments that we had people take. So understanding the intrinsic motivators for people and, and being able to differentiate how you're going to engage different people in your people-to-people -people engagement, it's a lot of work, and it puts a lot of pressure on the manager. What we found in the research was the managers that took the time to really manage to the one had superior results, had, had less turnover, higher engagement, and, and higher customer satisfaction. And when you think of it in that perspective, it really does make sense, doesn't it? It really does. I'm, I, again, it's it's understanding the needs and the style and the personality of the individual that you're managing and managing to them, if I understand your principle correctly. No, you articulated it exactly. And, and that leads right into our third discipline, which is all about speed to productivity. You know, with this mobile workforce that's coming in to play and with you know, unemployment levels being at record lows, people have options. And, and they don't want to be tied down to a job. They want a, a, a varied experience and so on. So this idea of when you get someone on your team and you hire them, you've got to get them up and running and, and productive as soon as possible. You know, um, my father's generation, you know, he worked for the same company for 40 years. You know, he went from the mailroom to the boardroom, right? That when That's what you did. Uh, my generation, the baby boomer generation, if you had five jobs, that was about right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you jumped around too much, that was a red flag. Uh, you look at Gen X, it's about seven to nine. Mm -hmm. You look at millennials, and the prediction is it's going to be 15 to 17 jobs over a career. Mm -hmm. Well, that's jumping around about every two to three years. Right. So if I know I'm only going to have you for two years, I've got to get you up to productivity level very quickly. So you, you hire more carefully. We talked a little bit about the mentorship the tools you have to get your job done. And when they leave after two years, don't be mad, right. Right? right? Wish them well, and if they're talented, make sure that they're welcome to come back. That whole idea of you know, speed to productivity, I think, is very, very important to high performance teams. Wow, yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, I was just talking with a, a former colleague from Elsevier this morning, and um, I told her that when I built my organization back in 1996, um, we had an onboarding process, and she said to me, she says, Terrell, what is that? We don't have that here. I said, what happened? I, I, I guess maybe in, in the publishing side, it just didn't catch on. But getting people on board so that they can be able to be as productive, it ensures that they're focused on doing the job and not at the water cooler goofing off, so to speak. Well, like your friend just said, I'm not getting enough feedback about how to do my job or what my job really entails. You know, connecting those dots particularly for new employees, is, is really important. You know, I, I've, um, I've made a new friend at, at WD-40, and his name is Gary Rich. He's All the right. CEO there. Okay. And he talks about work as a tribe, mm -hmm. and that you've really got to understand the rules of the tribe, why we're here, why we do what we do, and, and what your core values are. And their first core value is we do the right thing always. Now he said, what's interesting is do the right thing always means different things to different people in different cultures. So you've got to be very specific about what that means. 
you know, we do the right thing. We, we're honest. We're integral. We, we don't sacrifice our integrity for a sale. And it goes on and on. Once you've read that, you know exactly what do the right thing always means. Right. And I love that they have taken the time to communicate that so effectively and so precisely. And, and then it leads into, I think, which is one of my favorite uh, disciplines in the book, is create a culture where you can challenge everything. You know, once your core values are set, you know, you, you understand the generations, you, you understand managing to the one, and you've created a way to, like you say, onboard people really clearly and effectively. Now you've got to understand that in the speed of business, uh, where things change so quickly, you have to have a culture where it's safe to challenge everyone. Yes, yes. There can be no sacred cows. And you're not ridiculed for a wacky idea. Right. Because the wacky idea just might be the idea that's going to create a whole new line of business for you. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? It is very interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Chelster Elton, the co-author of The Best Team Wins. He's also the uh, partner and founder of The Culture Works. We're talking about his awesome book, The Best Team Wins. Now, we had talked about the first three disciplines. What is number four? Well, number four is that challenge everything, okay. right? Create a culture where uh, you inspire innovation through healthy discord. And that that's a key element. You know, I, I think harmony can be overrated. Right? <laughs> you, you, you don't want to just have everybody singing kumbaya and say, oh, everything's great, everything's great. You know, yeah. That doesn't lead to great ideas. Right. You have to create discord, though, that's safe. And what I mean by that is if I don't feel it's safe to challenge the sacred cows or to come up with new ideas, I'm not going to give them to you. If I give you a new idea and I get laughed at or ridiculed, I'm not going to give you another one. So this, this safe place. We've got a, a wonderful business leader that we've followed over the years. His name's Scott O'Neill. He's currently the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Now, what I didn't tell you at the beginning, Darrell, is I'm Canadian. Okay, and, all right. And there, there is only one religion in Canada. I know. It's, it's hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Everybody else is uh, number two or three or four. And what's really fascinating to me about Scott and the way he builds teams is one of his core values is we cheer for each other. Now, where this becomes really important in innovation is he wants healthy discord. He wants debate. He makes it very clear that it can never become personal, right? If I attack, I can attack your idea or, or, or the concept. If I attack you as a person, that's out of bounds. Right. right. And as soon as that starts to happen, he's got this great little thing he does. He'll say, you know, if you and I were in a heated argument, he would say, you know what, Darrell? Uh, I just don't get the sense that you're cheering for me on this one. Mm. <laughs> mm. And it lightens the mood. And it calms everybody down, and they go, you're right, it got personal, my bad. Let's talk about the idea and how we can make it better. Isn't that fascinating? That is fascinating, you know, especially fascinating for me because, see, I lived in New Jersey for, for 24 years. I'm from Atlantic City, New Jersey, and I, just, okay. and I just relocated from New Jersey to Amber, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Philadelphia. So naturally... Uh, I'm up on all the devils and all the 76ers, but I'm very curious to, to, to hear this because of the situation that just occurred with the 76ers where they had to let the, the coach go because his wife 
just wasn't cheering for the front office like she should have been. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the coach. I think it was the GM. Oh, the GM, right. Okay. It was the GM, yeah. And, and, and you know, when, when you look at a culture where cheering for each other and being supportive is a, is a key core value, when that happens, I mean, it's a no-brainer. You know exactly right. what you have to do to protect that culture. Now, right. back right. to the Sixers, you know, it's really interesting that, as you well know, for years – they were the laughing stock of yes. the NBA. They yes. couldn't win a game. I mean, their their odds of winning a game by default were better than actually showing <laughs> up to play, right? <laughs> and when Scott came in with the new management, you know, for three years in a row, even when they were only winning 12 to 20 games a year, they were setting records for season ticket sales. Did wow. you know that? I did not know that. Wow. So you ask yourself, how did they do that? Well, what they did is they created this culture and a roadmap, and you'll remember their mantra was trust the process. Right. And say, look, we're building here. I mean, we've torn the house down right to the studs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are rebuilding, and it's going to be painful. If you stick with us, we promise you a great product. Well, if you remember last season, they made the playoff for the first time in forever. That's right. And they have exciting players. They play hard every night. Yes. They, they pack the place. The chant goes up. Trust the process. And if you want to have fun at a basketball game, you go to a Sixers game, baby. It's fun. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, my, my, my daughter, uh, she attends Penn State, and uh, she attended, I think, two or three games last year, and she just had a, a grand time. And, uh, it, and that's culture, yeah. right? That comes back. And I, and I will tell you that, there were no sacred cows. They have reinvented how to engage their fans, how to create an experience second to none. In fact, the Sixers regularly have other franchises from all over the sports spectrum to say, how did you do it? Because mm. we want to replicate that in our town. Right. And of course, you know, the Sixers aren't competing with the uh, Atlanta teams or the New York teams or the Toronto. You know, so passing on that information just builds a great league, and it's the tide that raises all ships. It's the one thing I love about the cultures that Scott builds is they immediately share their success with their peers, mm. and I think that speaks well of them. I love that because, as you said, it, you know, it, it, the tide, all boats rise with the tide, and a more positive, a more constructive environment is good for humanity o overall. Yeah. You know, it's a, they very much have the philosophy of a win-win, which we don't see much in our news feeds these right. days about win-win. Right. And then the fifth discipline is, is don't forget your customers. Right. And I think our conversation about the Sixers is the perfect lead into that, is that, you know, we can do all the first four things right, you know, understand generation, manage to the one, speed to productivity, have a really innovative culture. If we don't keep the customer first and foremost, we don't have a company. Right? That's right. That's right. That's and so, you know, are, are we delivering? Are we listening to our customers? Are we getting them involved in the process? Are we making sure that all this innovation and this great culture leads to better products that may, that impact not only our bottom line, but impact our communities and our mission, visions and values? So it was a very interesting, um, you know, study for us to look at all that data look at these wonderful case studies and these incredible leaders that have done it and put it into a book that hopefully can make a difference to teams and companies big and small around these incredible five disciplines that pervade your game. And is the book is available now on Amazon? 
It is. It's on Amazon. It's on audio, uh, you know, Audible books, and so on. As, as our publishers like to say, and available at fine bookstores everywhere. There you go. There you go. And you also have other books as well. You had the Carrot Principle, uh, and you had a couple more books, correct? We do. You know, Adrian and I actually have written 11 books together. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we've had five New York Times bestsellers, and we've sold, I think right now we're, we're tracking at about 1.6 million copies, folks. So we've been, uh, we've been blessed. The other, uh, other books that I think would be interesting for your uh, listeners would be uh, All In, which is all about culture. Well, the best managers create a culture of belief that drives big results. And then on our, on our website, if you're interested around the research we keep yes. in our book, What Motivates Me, it's very simple. It's thecultureworks.com. You can download all kinds of white papers. Uh, you can buy the uh, assessment if you uh, want to take that. And uh, we're always looking at that data. What is it telling us? Motivators that are different, different between generations or genders and industries and and so on, and as we build a bigger and bigger database, the insights are really interesting. You know, I have a couple of questions um, that come to mind. When you have, what advice would you give to a CEO? Because in my consulting practice, I deal with the CEO, I deal with the CEOs, and one of the challenges that I find is that the CEO has to accept responsibility for their SWOT analysis. What advice would you give to a CEO that clearly uh, needs to establish some strong values to, to build a winning culture? How do they get started? How do they self-identify this Jahari's window uh, vacancy that they have? Yeah. Well, I, I think there's just great power in getting your top executives, you know, your inner circle, to give you their thoughts and their ideas and their feedback on what those values should be and so on. I love leaders that don't have to be the smartest person in the room, right? Let's get everybody together. Let's talk about where we are. Let's talk about where we want to go. And let's talk about the core principles and values that are going to get us there. And then when you get that feedback as a CEO, there's only one appropriate response. It's thank you, right? Thank you for that feedback. Now let's see what we can do with it so that we can effectively communicate it right down to our, our rank and file. You know, I've, um, I've had the uh, privilege to work and be a part of a group with Marshall Goldsmith. And you being a, an executive coach, I'm sure you're familiar with Marshall's work yes. around stakeholder, right? Stakeholder uh, coaching. You know, get, get, the, get your stakeholders and let them give you feedback. I love the core premise of the work there where it's, it's founded on courage, humility, and discipline. You know, the courage to know that you don't have all the answers, right? The humility to ask for help and get that feedback and be grateful for that feedback. And then the discipline to follow up on that. And once you've established those mission, vision, and values and the culture you want, the discipline to stick to that every day. You know, culture is every day. It's not the year-end banquet, right? It's not the, that we hit our sales quotas for the month, right? It's how we feel about coming to work every day. Not just what we do and how we do it, but why we do it. And in the best cultures we've looked at, that courage, that humility, and that discipline are always found in, in rich supply. Wow, Chester, believe it or not, we are at the end of our program. But before we go, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our audience about your, 
New York Times best-selling book, The Best Game Wins. Uh, thanks for, for letting me have the last word. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I, I always tell people, look, these are wonderful principles that will help you build a great team, high-performing per, high team at work. These are also principles that will help you build a great life, right? Understanding different generations, as we've talked about, you know, with our children, with people we interact with and where we volunteer and so on is key. Managing to the one, really appreciating people's individuality and what they bring to the, to the kaleidoscope of, of our community. Speed to productivity. You know, let's, let's not worry about long-term stuff as much as really making sure that today is a great day for you. Let's challenge everything. Let's be innovative in our thinking with our families, with our friends, where we go to church, where we volunteer. You know, these are principles that really make sense. And I always wrap up and say, look, the foundation to all these great things really comes back to being appreciative of the people around you. You know, uh, the, the, really the virtue of kindness. Let's be kind to each other. Let's be appreciative for those things. When was the last time you said thank you to a teacher or a or a minister, or to your spouse, or, or just the mailman. You know, I love that we've got a relationship with our mailman. You know, we have cold water for him and a little treat when he comes by when we see him. And those little things, those those random acts of kindness, go a long way to creating great cultures, great teams, and just great lives. My favorite stat that I'll leave you with is: University of California did a study. When people are highly engaged at work and believe they're valued at work. They're 150% to be more engaged and have a happier personal life. And I think as we build great companies, we owe it to ourselves, our communities, and our people to send people home happy. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, Darrell. There you go. <laughs> Chester, we're so grateful for you to be on our program. Um, again, the book is The Best Team Wins. And ladies and gentlemen, that will wrap it up for this weekend with Darrell, leadership with Darrell Gontro and WSOU 89. Streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Have a great weekend, but remember, leadership begins with you.